Welcome to the Sports Innovation Institute podcast, located inside the School of Health and Human Sciences at IUPUI in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm your host, Travis Smith, a proud sport management alum, adjunct faculty member, and associate editor of the Sports Innovation Journal here at IUPUI. On this podcast, we look to highlight the innovative practitioners and scholars in sports to learn and design Think the Future of the Industry together. Thanks for listening to the Sports Innovation Institute podcast. Thanks for listening to the IUPUI's Sports Innovation Institute podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dan Gavitt, Senior Vice President of Basketball at the NCAA. So, Mr. Gavitt, thanks for being on the podcast with me. My pleasure. Well, so we are based here at IUPUI in Indianapolis, uh, actually share a lot with the National uh, Collegiate Athletic Association, uh, for those that aren't aware. And so it's pretty unique. Um, Also, that IUPUI is going to be a host for this year's uh, tournament. And so my first question is really, why Indianapolis? I know that it was already going to be the site of the Final Four. I'm guessing that played into it. But what about Indianapolis uh, maybe made the most sense for trying to put something like this together this year? Well, it's a great question. We've uh, the basketball committee and staff that makes uh, decisions and runs the tournament um, came to the realization in the fall after studying what other leagues and events had uh, done successfully with uh, restarting sports safely and responsibly that in order to have success and, and do it in a, in a safe way, um, it really was going to require this year having the tournament in one geographic area rather than 14 different locations. Normally we would have the tournament and, um, you know, trying to uh, combine different medical protocols that uh, are being uh, employed in different states and counties um, that was just going to be really challenging to do in 14 different locations, not to mention the risk around travel. So the first decision was one geographic area. When the committee made that, and knowing that we were going to end the tournament here in the, with the Final Four in Indianapolis, it just became uh, a, the, you know, probably the best option to consider having the entire tournament um, in, the, in the Indianapolis area. And then we had to set out on whether logistically we could make that happen. First and foremost, working with the state and the the county and city of Indianapolis to um, come to to, uh, agreement on the medical protocols that would be required to do it safely and responsibly. And then, of course, lining up competition venues, practice sites, and the lodging needed uh, to accommodate 68 teams during March Madness. And um, once we were able to get all of that in place and get the assurances we needed uh, with the community support, uh, that was when we were able to announce, it, you know, confirm in early January that indeed the entire 21 March Madness would take place in Indianapolis and the surrounding area. Yeah, and you all being located here as well, I'm sure that can help with your staff demands and 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 things like that. You you kind of hinted that the logistical travel issue would be very crucial and obviously easier being in one location. But how is that travel into the city? So say a, a teams find out they're going to be in the tournament. How is that expected to work as far as getting into the city? And then are they staying in Indianapolis area or will they be staying closer to maybe the, the host sites like an IU Purdue um, outside of the city? Yeah. So no, a travel in will be the way it is uh, in a normal year uh, by either aircraft charter or, or bus charter. 
um, depending on how far away an institution is from Indianapolis. 350 miles is our is our cutoff of, of bus transportation or aircraft travel. Of course, you know we'll have that done in a very safe way, um, actually with some additional buses um, and and large or large body aircraft to be able to maintain six feet of physical distancing needed in any mode of transportation into Indy. And frankly, it's a little bit easier in some ways to, to arrange the travel in because normally we're sending teams, like I said, to you know eight, nine different sites in the first round and first four. Now they'll all be coming at least to the same destination. So in some ways, it's a little bit more easy to, um, to arrange that. Um, then all these teams will stay in downtown Indianapolis um, in four hotels, all of which are connected to the Indiana Convention Center. The Indiana Convention Center will be a hub of activities where, where there will be practice courts and team meeting rooms uh, for team preparation as well as for study hall uh, for teams during their stay in Indy. Um, they will, as you know, uh, have, we will have games in first four and first rounds at IU and at Purdue, um, but the teams will not stay there uh, because those are in diff different counties than Marion County and Indianapolis. So maintaining that you know uh, consistency with the medical protocols and assuring the local officials that we would be housing all participants in the same controlled environment um, was fundamental to doing this here. Yeah, so we you kind of mentioned, and I mentioned before that IU Purdue um, are definitely hosting uh, schools and sites. Can you just, uh, for those that are maybe haven't heard yet, who are the other host um, institutions as well as the venues? Because a couple of them I think are hosts, but not uh, on their own on-campus venue. Um, but can you kind of share the, the other ones? Sure. So the, the four other uh, competition venues uh, are Lucas Oil Stadium. There will be two courts in Lucas Oil Stadium, although we'll, we'll not use them at the same time, of course. Um, but there will be two court setups in, in Lucas Oil. We will play games on both. Um, uh, uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse um, at Butler University, um, Bagley Fieldhouse, uh, and then uh, Indiana Farmers Coliseum on the state fairgrounds are the four Indianapolis area competition venues. And the host institutions uh, and conferences besides uh, Indiana University and Purdue University are Butler University, um, IUPUI, the Horizon League, and Ball State University. Okay, thank you. And will the, the COVID testing be handled by, be responsible for the host or as a particular company? Has that been decided yet? Um, since you said you are keeping it into Marion County, I'm sure there's some factors that play into that, right? There are. We're using a local uh, health provider to do all the testing. Um, haven't announced specifically that yet, but we are using a local provider and very confident in that in that service. Well, one thing that people outside of Indianapolis might not be aware of is every year in February, the NFL pretty much comes here and, and does their combine. And so the city and the uh, state of Indiana uh, can obviously put on a, a good venue. And it sounds like the setup, because they take over the convention center and, and use the hotels uh, for hundreds of, of people. And um, uh, it sounds like this is going to be uh, a similar thing that the city can actually handle and has has some experience in doing before. Would you say that's kind of accurate that maybe builds up some confidence to be able to pull this off? Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, the, the relationships that we enjoy with the NCAA headquartered in Indianapolis and the fact that we run many championships, including the Final Four here, you know, every five years or thereabouts, um, you know, make uh, this a particularly 
comfortable and confident place to have this unusual tournament. Um, you know, the Indiana Sports Corporation and Visit Indy and so many uh, local partners, of course, the Pacers and, and Bankers Life, um, Lucas Oil Stadium. I mean, and, and IUPUI and the Horizon League have been the host of the Final Four, you know, pretty much every year. And so, you know, including Butler and, um, and Ball State and IU and Purdue in those hosting responsibilities uh, give us a great level of confidence uh, that we, you know, are doing it in the right place and with the right partners, including the, the, the governor of Indiana, frankly, and, and the mayor of Indianapolis. Um, you know, the local government officials have been very supportive. Uh, Marion County Health Department, Dr. Virginia Kane. Um, you know, we, we, we are fortunate to have many deep relationships um, in, in civic and educational and, and business community here in Indianapolis. And we're leveraging all that to do this successfully. Yeah, and that's been a big uh, focal point of Indianapolis over the last decade or so is, is hosting conferences and, and major events. And, and with that, I think the, the collaboration of the local and state government has been on full display. Um, so I wasn't really surprised whenever this was announced that, um, that it could work. And uh, uh, so it sounds like the relationships of being here in Indianapolis is, is just huge to probably make this, uh, to make this happen. So that's good to hear. You mentioned the um, responsibilities of the host schools. What, what kind of just generally is the hosting responsibility of an institution when someone says, you know, Ball State, I think, or whatever, be the host of, of, a, of a venue, what does that mean or an IUPUI with their arena? What is the hosting responsibilities generally? Well, generally speaking, if, if it involves a venue, um, you know, it's, it's running the operations of the venue. Um, you know, Baltimore University being a good example with Hinkle Fieldhouse, uh, you know, their staff that, that manages and runs that facility that during the year will be the staff that we rely on to, you know, to set up um, and to be prepared, you know, to host practices and games. I'll also provide the official table um, personnel, you know, scores, uh, clock operators, uh, and PA announcers and the like. Um, so it's staffing largely, it's operations um, based as well. And, um, and it's just, you know, having the confidence of, of partners that, you know, are invested in, in many ways in, in doing things in a first class manner um, as they do every day of the week and every month of the year. So it's, it's, it, it depends, you know, depending like Ball State, for example, um, will be the host at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. So they'll have the responsibilities there. Um, but of course, that will be integrated with the, with the Pacers uh, organization and staff and, and Bankers Field, uh, Fieldhouse staff. So it depends a little bit on, on what facility, um, you know, is being utilized as to the depth of the hosting responsibilities. Um, but that gives you a thumbnail sketch at least. That's great. Talking about the Pacers, um, I believe the NBA, uh, I think I heard you on a, on another um, uh, interview talk about how the NBA is not releasing their second uh, part of their schedule yet really helped with the Pacers uh, venue scheduling. So can you kind of walk us through that um, as far as, how that helped and, and what the result was. Yeah, incredible partners, uh, Rick Fuson, Mel Raines, um, the ownership of the Pacers. Um, we knew that we, the Bankers Life Fieldhouse would be a, a perfect location for a number of March Madness games as it is almost every year, first and second rounds or, or regionals. Um, so we had in mind a weekend uh, initially of first and second round games 
um, when we were trying to figure out the complicated schedule around team arrivals and testing and, and quarantining and working with our broadcast partners on what the tournament schedule would be like. And when we kind of started to narrow that focus, um, it became apparent that the, the regional weekend would be another opportunity where we wouldn't need too many facilities, but we'd like to, to highlight some here in Indianapolis if possible and make, make it equitable as much as possible, um, uh, you know, as to where those games will be played. And, and Banker's Life um, was not initially available beyond just one weekend, but we did go back and ask if, if there could be consideration given to adding an additional weekend, um, which is a challenge, you know, obviously for the Pacers team and organization to give up additional dates. Um, the, the state high school basketball championship will be held at Banker's Life as well. And, um, and I believe the Big Ten Women's Championship. So, but they were incredible partners and, well, you know, uh, you know, considered it, uh, you know, discussed it with the NBA schedule makers to see if that could be uh, arranged and still have dates, plenty of dates available for the Pacers, um, which they will, you know, before and after and uh, both weekends and, and came back and said that they're willing to do it. So huge uh, plus for the tournament to be able to have sweet 16 games in Bankers Life Fieldhouse along with Hinkle Fieldhouse and really uh, special thanks to the Pacers organization for making that happen. Yeah, it might have been easier for them to to be willing to be flexible with their schedule by not having fans at their games, too, that, uh, I mean, they seem to be doing good on the road or at home. Uh, they're off to a great start. Uh, now, the kind of to back up, we've talked a lot about um, all the nuances of this tournament, but what is the approval process uh, or who is making these plans uh, with you and your staff? Uh, is it is it the D1 basketball committee? And, uh, you know, how's that kind of work? And who all has to be kind of included in that as far as the NCAA's uh, standpoint? Because obviously the local uh, government is a huge piece of it, um, but you're trying to keep it as, as probably functional as possible compared to past tournaments. So I'm guessing the same people are included, but what's that kind of look like just from the inside? Sure. Well, you mentioned the you know Marion County Health Department and the State uh, Department of Health of Indiana. They're certainly uh, there from a health and safety perspective, the the go-to, right? We, we have everything that's cleared through them, um, explain all of our planning um, and make sure that we're in agreement with how we do this uh, with health and safety as the primary factor. Um, outside of that, then yes, it's very much the Division One Men's Basketball Committee working with uh, the basketball staff at the NCAA and some of the senior staff here as well. Um, that, that's who the decision makers are in managing the events on top of uh, selecting and seating and bracketing the field as well. So I'm wondering if, if watching it on TV, if, if many people will even be able to tell that this is all just happening at one spot, I think it, it sounds like you're going to be able to keep it from a spectator side of things is pretty much used to what we're generally used to because the dates are starting to line up and looking like everything hopefully um, is going to be the schedule that you plan. Is that, what you're all, what you all would find successful as we get through this, and you almost cannot even tell it was all hosted in one city. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if you know if, if that's a um, you know a, a primary goal, but uh, the experience of the tournament for the student athletes and coaches and teams is very much front and center in our minds, um, along obviously with their health and safety uh, first and foremost. So. We are trying to add all of the you know, bells and whistles and 
um, you know, common kind of, uh, you know, branding and, and setup that, that teams are used to during March, March Madness. Um, you know, having the limited number of competition venues um, of different sizes and, and locations has challenged us to be creative in how we do that. And, uh, and needing, for example, to space out benches by six feet, uh, of, you know, between chairs, and physical distancing. So there are definitely some challenges around um, set up and, and what it will look like and feel like to viewers. Um, but our hope is, yeah, that when you tune on, turn on March Madness, um, that we're very confident the quality of play is going to be real high because it has been all season. The excitement level of teams participating will be uh, off the charts uh, because it's uh, a year removed from the cancellation of the tournament, and um, and so we think that there, you know, the presentation of the game will be will be really neat for for viewers for sure. And they should already be exposed if they've been watching basketball this season. They're used to seeing most venues, everyone's spaced out so far, and no fans. Or obviously, most people don't have fans, but a limited schools do. Hey listeners, a quick message and then we'll get right back to the interview. I wanted to quickly tell you that the Sports Innovation Journal is now accepting submissions. If you have or are looking for a place to publish your innovative thoughts and studies on the sports industry, then please consider the Sports Innovation Journal. We are an open access journal and our target audience is the practitioner looking for answers to the questions and problems in their job and we want to attract and publish researchers that are identifying and studying those questions and problems. If you are interested in learning more about the journal and wanting to submit or sign up to be a reviewer, then visit the link in the episode notes or email Dr. David Pierce, the editor and director of the Sports Innovation Institute at dpierce3 at iupi.edu. dpierce3 at iupi.edu. Now let's get back to the interview. Is the women's D1 tournament, is, is it the plan there to also um, to be in a one single location? And would it pretty much uh, run with the same goals in mind as the men's, uh, the men's tournament? Very much so. Um, the Women's Basketball Committee has uh, announced just a couple of weeks ago that it would certainly be in one geographic area, similar to the men's championship, and have been working with San Antonio in that region as a potential uh, site for the entirety of, of the women's championship. Haven't confirmed that yet, but have been working on the details that I mentioned earlier that the men's staff had to work through with the local health officials and the competition venues and hotels and practice sites. And I think that in very short order, we'll be hearing an announcement from the women's committee on, on uh, confirming the, the, the site and format and all of the women's championship, but it is very much being modeled after the men's. That's great. So this isn't necessarily tournament related, but as the senior VP of basketball at the NCAA, are there any innovations or ideas you'd like studied or think of things that need studied to advance the game of basketball in the future? Because your audience you're speaking to right now are researchers and practitioners. So is there anything that, that cause you know, sometimes the NIT will play on some innovations. Is there anything that um, you just wish or you could see maybe needing studied um, either coming out of this or just in generally with uh, basketball and all the technology going on. Well, I'll start with, with this year's tournament. I think I'm, I'm curious uh, myself, you know, as to some of the things that we're doing differently in this year's event uh, and whether there's any application uh, or consideration that should be given to permanent change around that, whether it be 
the, the days of the week that the tournament is being played, some of them being slightly different than in, in normal years, um, you know, travel considerations, bracketing considerations, uh, certainly health and safety considerations, even post-pandemic, are there things that we can do, you know, to, to further enhance uh, the health and safety of student athletes playing in the tournament. So I think that there'll be some, some learning that will come of the, the modification we've had to make to the format and, and, and tournament experience. Um, curious about that, as I think everybody is during this pandemic, what are the things we'll learn you know, during the pandemic that we may carry forward as best practices or, or innovation? Um, and then more generally speaking, yeah, I mean, I think I've been very much an, an advocate for and supportive of the advancement of technology in college basketball. Um, I think that college basketball, frankly, has fallen behind a little bit um, with other levels of the game in terms of embracing technology for coaching and teaching and engagement around the game. I think, of course, the NBA probably has set the standard there with 30 clubs and the resources that the NBA has um, with, uh, with technology, whether it be, you know, biometric technology or, um, you know, uh, teaching, you know, video and other technology on the bench and in the, you know, in practices as well as um, fan engagement, whether it be in arena or viewers. And um, I think that at the same time, we've had innovation around the game, even at the youth level, you know, with um, technology that is uh, accessible and, and um, affordable, um, something as simple as an iPad or, or uh, you know, a uh, you know, a cell phone, that, a smartphone that can um, utilize some technology to help teach the game and, and to help uh, players train in advance. We haven't embraced that in college quite as much. Um, for example, we still don't allow for technology to be used in the bench area during games. Some of that is resource driven. Some of that is competitive equity driven. But I just feel like we need to, th those can't be excuses. We need to find a way to implement technology uh, for the benefit of the players and the coaches that grow, are growing up now much more so with technology as part of their basketball experience. Um, and I think we're going to get there. You know, the pandemic has slowed that maybe a little bit this year, um, but we have introduced, uh, just as you mentioned, through the IT experimentation the last couple of years, uh, live stats uh, being available on the bench rather than paper stats. And and kind of advanced statistical, you know, modeling and, and that can be used on the bench area. The next step is video, I think, um, you know, accessing video, live video taped on the bench. So when a player checks out of the game, a coach can sit with him or her and say, hey, this is what the set was our opponent ran and here's what you didn't cover, um, you know, as we had talked about during practice. So things like that, that I think can advance players' experience and, and their, um, you know, development in the game. And we're anxious to continue that uh, that effort forward soon. Yeah, you're seeing some of that with uh, NBA, but also the NFL and their Surface tablets on the sideline. And and uh, they've explored video, haven't gone full video yet, but they did test that in preseason uh, a couple of years ago. And so it's obviously coming and uh, the innovations keep coming. And so that's, that's some great insight for our audience of what they might want to start looking at. Um, how important do you think it is for administrators and committees uh, working through this to become innovative and not too caught up in business as usual and really accepting innovation and just thinking differently when you're trying to put something together? Well, I think it's critical. I mean, it probably is even under normal circumstances and 
but uh, I think that that's been highlighted during this pandemic is, you know, the disruption uh, to, to best practices, to, to business um, has been so significant, um, depending on what business it is, that uh, we've had to think more creatively and innovatively um, across our world. And, and college athletics is no different than any other business from that perspective. You know, we need to consider what we've learned and, and how we need to do things more effectively and efficiently going forward. And, and um, I've had the time to study how, how that's been done effectively or not. And um, I, I do think because of the financial disruption as well, that we'll, we'll be required to do that going forward as to how we get a little bit more cost effective and, and efficient in, in how we conduct uh, intercollegiate athletics. Well, my last question is kind of similar to talking about innovations and um, something that I'm uh, personally and professionally in my, uh, in my doctoral program thinking about is if this goes really well, could the one city decision, could that be replicated in future NCAA tournaments? I know you might not be able to answer that right now, but it is something more of a comment too that uh, I'm, I'm interested in because you think about uh, getting everyone to one spot, the economic impact on that one area, the safety way to harness everything. Uh, students could, you know, now they could be taking their classes online in a hotel without uh, missing as much class. I'm sure all those things kind of factor in that'll be good for this tournament. The economic activity, obviously, with with no spectators outside family and, and the city's not really being fully operational, but it, it almost gives you that Super Bowl uh, hosting site vibe, which would put a lot more emphasis on the, the bid process, I'm sure, from cities. But is there is I know it's too early for you to be thinking about that, especially probably publicly. But is that something that you think uh, will be on people's minds if this goes really well? I think it'd be natural for it to be. Yeah. Um you know, like I said earlier, you know, trying to learn from what uh, this new experience is like and how we may be able to apply some elements of that going forward, um, you know, will certainly be a committee uh, discussion this summer. You know, I would hesitate and, and probably initially uh, stop short of, of considering single site on any kind of an annual basis, simply because there's so many communities that want to be part of March Madness. When we have a bid process for first and second and regional rounds of the tournament, um, we get uh, dozens and dozens of cities and institutions that bid, and, and we can't ever accommodate all of those interested parties. So, um, you know, the, just, the, just the demand for the March Madness experience uh, in local communities will probably be, would be a challenge to, to limiting the number of sites. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of disappointment that the committee and staff felt when they made the decision to go from 14 sites to one, knowing that there would be 13 different communities that would be disappointed and impacted by the, that decision. Um, but it was really necessitated this year um, because of, of the pandemic and we don't, we don't uh, second guess or regret that decision. But for that same reason, it's, it's hard to imagine not going back out to the communities that have been such a big part of March Madness, embrace it so much, and frankly, you know, help to grow the game of basketball and college basketball in particular by sharing it around the country. And I think it's one of the beautiful things about college basketball and this tournament is that it is embraced, you know, in almost every state in the country. We haven't been to Alaska yet or Hawaii, but I'd love to find a way to do that. Um, but, you know, from, from uh, coast to coast and from north to south, large institutions and small, you know, we have 
uh, just communities that embrace this experience and that we couldn't do without, frankly, because our staff is not big enough to run a tournament without, you know, institutional and conference hosts. So, but we could consider, you know, fewer host sites, you know, and, and condensing different rounds of the tournament. I mean, there's all sorts of models, I think, that could be considered. Um, the Women's Championship, for example, is going to go to a kind of a super regional um, format in, in the coming years where uh, rather than four different regional sites, there'll be a super regional, um, similar to what happens um, in, in the baseball championship, for example. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll certainly um, try to learn from this experience and see what we uh, can improve upon, always trying and pushing to see how we can make this tournament even bigger and better um, and, and respect those that preceded us in doing that for those that are lucky enough to work on it now. Yeah, and Indianapolis is kind of the uh... – probably a bad example for thinking long-term about that because we are used to so many basketball venues with so many universities in the, in the downtown area. And then obviously IU, Purdue, Indiana state, ball state. Um, so we have probably a little bit more of uh, facilities here in the state that are, are close to a major airport that is not a super condensed city where you could actually do that. And we're used to hosting a lot of events. And so that does make sense, but it's, it's great to, to watch and just be able to, see kind of study this whole tournament experience and just hoping it's the best experience for the student athletes and, and keeping everyone safe. And it sounds like a lot of thoughts been put into it. Um, so Dan, thanks for being on the podcast with us. I'm, I'm sure the audience has learned a lot and they're already probably uh, drafting some research projects uh, uh, and writing those abstracts out uh, as the tournament uh, hits. Thanks Travis. Great to be with you. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, be well, stay safe and enjoy March Madness in Indianapolis.